Are you ready for a Florida tropical adventure like no other? Well, mark your calendars because Tiki Agogo is coming to Orlando, Florida from April 5th to 7th at the beautiful Caribe Royale Orlando for a weekend of tiki fun. Get ready to explore Florida's rich tiki history, learn about kitschy roadside attractions, the Florida Orange Bird, and Disney's influence on tiki culture. Sip on exotic cocktails, enjoy rum tastings, and browsing the tiki marketplace. Don't miss out on this unforgettable event. Visit our website at tikiagogoevent.com and secure your room and tickets today. The Florida Spectacular Podcast is a proud sponsor of Tiki Agogo, April 5th through 7th in Orlando. This is the Florida Spectacular Podcast with your hosts, Kathy Silustri and Rick Kilby. Keep up with Kathy at greatfloridaroadtrip.com and on Twitter and Instagram at Kathy Silustri. Find Rick on Twitter at OldFLA and visit his website, rickkilby.com. Now, discover a Florida you never knew existed. Good morning, good afternoon, hello everyone. Welcome back to this week's Florida Spectacular. How you doing over there, Rick? It is a beautiful day, beautiful sunny day after a rainy weekend in Orlando. And I was out running around this morning and it's it's why you moved to Florida today. Oh, I'm, I'm a little cold, but okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Just wait 10 minutes. <laughs> I hope so. I really that's hope a, so. I, that's another podcast. <laughs> wait, wait five minutes. No, I, 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 it's uh, been a very wet winter. Yes. Yes. I'm afraid this may be the, the way it is from now on. I'm afraid. Well, it just makes me yearn for my, my springtime trip to the Keys. So anyway. Keys are one of the places I think we should talk about today because we discussed talking about pirates. And I was thinking about all the places that have kind of created their own mythology and tied it to the pirate story in Florida. And the Keys would be one of them. I think St. Augustine does that. I was there a few weeks ago and we were walking down St. George Street, which is a street I try and avoid like the plague when I'm there. And we were trying to get through the crowd quickly, and we happened to find some pirates. And we walked. What? We got through the crowd by walking behind the pirates. (laughs) Not real pirates, I assume. No. Although pirating is, you know, my wife brought this up. We were talking about it. She goes, pirates are still a thing. You you should talk about that. It's, you know, right now in the Middle East, we are fighting real life pirates. And it's, it's. The contemporary pirates are not something to ma- be made light of. It's the historical thing that has been become part of, you know, tourism and you know the Florida the culture today. Yeah, the culture. So, so I um I have this talk with Brad on the Florida Spectacular, Florida Keys Spectacular podcast that we have uh, about pirates. He's like, well, there were no pirates in the Keys. Not really. I'm like, okay, pirate is. We talk about pirates in the 17th and 18th century. It's a very political term, right? Yes. So I, I always love to give the example because everybody knows Captain Morgan's rum, right? And it's got this beautiful pirate on the bottle, Captain Morgan. And he's a swashbuckling pirate, evildoer. I mean, just everything you think about with a pirate. But this is this is worth noting. If you go to Britain, he is not Captain Morgan. He's not a dastardly pirate. He is Sir Henry Morgan because he was knighted for his service to the crown. So, you know, pirate, it's a political term. And I hate to make things political. I like the swashbuckling uh, 
legends and lores that that surround a lot of the pirates. But I want to point out that a lot of times these were not, you know, a man without a country just doing things of their own accord because they were bad people who wanted to rape women. I mean, a lot of time they had letters from the crown and they were they were doing things like that. Am I, am I making piracy, piracy sound like bureaucracy? <laughs> Well, there's a lot of politics involved. I think yeah, I was reading up on this a little bit last night. A lot of geopolitics in between the French, the English, and the Spanish. And you know, these were instruments of war in in some ways. And there was a lot at stake in the New World. And Florida was right in the middle of all that. Sir Francis Drake is another good example. He is knighted as well. He's you know the first person to circumnavigate the world and live to talk about it. I think Magellan, for some reason, didn't survive. That's my understanding, his whole trip around the world. And he, Sir Francis Drake, destroyed St. Augustine. He just wrecked it. And, you know, everybody had to take off into the woods. And, you know, everything that was standing was burned by him and destroyed. And I think in England, he'd be treated as a hero as well. So I think that's a really valid point that you bring up. Why? Why did we need these pirates? That's the other thing we don't talk about. We'll talk about them being political and how it was kind of a, a type of warfare. But why Why did we have pirates, for lack of a better phrase, in the Caribbean? Well, I think a large part of it was that, you know, Florida, or, or I should say Spain under Florida or Florida under Spain was was nothing more than a strategic outpost. They used it to protect their fleets full of treasure going up the the jet stream over to Europe and the Gulf Stream, I should say. And they just wanted to protect their fleets. So there was all this treasure you know in these Spanish galleons, just millions and millions of, of today's dollars worth of treasure. And all you had to do you know, it was there for the taking. And, and there was one case where there was a hurricane that wrecked a Spanish treasure fleet. And, you know, the treasure was in shallow enough water so that they were bringing it up and, you know, it was there for the taking. So I, I think it was like low hanging fruit, I think, in a lot of ways. Ooh. Okay. Fair. I am. Um, I think it's always amazing. We talk about when I was a kid and every year my Cousins would come down from New York and we would do the Bush Gardens, Homosassa Springs, Wikiwachi, Walt Disney World Loop, right? That that was that was a week. It was an exhausting week for my parents and probably an expensive one. And we would go to Disney. One of my favorite rides was always Pirates of the Caribbean. And this is, of course, way before the movies. And it never really dawned on me that that was happening someplace close. I never thought about Florida as the Caribbean. Yeah. Um, but in reality, I mean, I actually wrote a, a short article online <laughs> about how there's a scene in that ride where they show the pirates. They used to show them auctioning off women. And now they've changed it because that's, you know, very undisney to, to sell women. Um, but it's an auction. There's a pirate auction. And I wrote an article for a Disney fan magazine a while ago about you know that was happening in Key West. That was that was a thing that happened. It wasn't something that happened in some remote island. It was um, they um, had such a they called it wrecking, 
right? It was not piracy. It was wrecking. Right. And they would come get the goods off the ship, and that would be part of their payment, the wreckers who saved them. And um, we eventually got the government involved because piracy really is bureaucracy when you come down to it. And the government sent agents down to Key West um, to oversee the sale of the goods salvaged. And it wasn't to make sure it went back to whoever owned the boat. It was to make sure we got our cut, that the profits stayed domestically. And there were some, I believe, some, I don't know if we called them taxes, but there were some monies due to the government as a result of that. And so there's this cool thing that I always thought was so nifty as a kid was actually just bureaucracy at work in piracy in Florida. And it, it's not as sexy as you think it is. Um, so you're saying the bureaucracy intrigued you as a kid? No, no. As oh, okay. a kid, I just thought it was a cool part of the ride. Yeah, you know, I, yeah, it was. It was nifty. I mean, this was pre Jack Sparrow and all that Hollywood stuff. Yeah. Um, and um, I just thought it was neat. It was only later when I started studying the the history of Key West and how it went, how how it progressed from being a uh, a place where all the British supporters came when they fled. You know, they, they, the British supporters always came to Florida. And a lot of them ended up in Key West, I, how it became something like that to fishermen, to wreckers, to Margaritaville. And I started really getting into the history. I'm like reading about these these auctions that they would have the government overseeing and what they were doing and how they were taking the goods. I'm like, oh, my God, I remember seeing that on this ride at Disney World when I was six. And I really don't know if the Imagineers who created that ride were as into Key West history as all that. Or if it was more of just a Hollywood uh, stereotype about how we how we did how we did as pirates, but as an adult, I I look at that now. I'm like, God, that can you imagine? You're a pirate. People are trying to kill you. You've got your cannons, and then you got some scrivener coming down from the federal government with his form and triplicate. I, I just <laughs> I don't know. It ruins the whole thing. It's it's not you know a twelve mile reef. It's not any of those things anymore for me. It just seems like it would have been a lot of paperwork the minute you were anywhere near land. A lot of fun out on the ocean. Minute you hit land, it seems like there's a lot of Red tape. <laughs> they never talk about that in the Disney movies. No. You do Pirates of the Caribbean, you never see Johnny Depp having to deal with some kind of customs agent. And, you know. Well, in some ways, and I, I can't say I'm a big, I mean, I have watched a lot of those movies. I've probably seen them all, but I haven't studied them. It does seem that there's this colonial presence that's always the British, and they're always trying to keep Captain Sparrow down, you know, that maybe they represent the bureaucracy, and he's rebelling against the bureaucracy, you, you know, because you remember, like, there's one where he's in prison, he has to escape, and all this kind of stuff happens. I, not really, I know I, them, They all run together for me, very they honestly. They do, they do. They, I'm butchering them, but I think your point is well taken. They romanticize the whole thing about pirates, and it, the true part of it is is a lot more mundane but also very violent you, you know that second british guy who came in and sacked uh saint augustine killed about a quarter of the population of the town i read on, on one site and put a lot of the residents in, into slavery they killed children so that's not something that's really fun if you look at the the actual history of it yet there is a pirate museum in saint augustine and like you, like I said, there's a lot of them walking around. There's a whole subculture of pirates 
And they, they pop up at places like St. Augustine. What do you mean a subculture of pirates? So I think there are a lot of subcultures in Florida. You know, maybe subculture is not the right word. It's people who like to play weekend pirates. You know, the people who love Gasparilla, they get into it. They dress up. There's pirate festivals from one end of the state to the other. They go to the mall. They get into it. And it's something that that's never really attracted to me. You know, I, of the subcultures in Florida, For there, there was a time I was very attracted to tiki stuff, and I was – you know, I went to the Tiki Festival in Fort Lauderdale one year, maybe two years, and I, you know, I would go to tiki bars all over the country, and that was a subculture that I identified with. The pirate one for me has always been a bit lost on me, and I've looked at it from afar and thought, isn't that odd? But I, there are people who get way into it. So, <laughs> wait, wait, until Kathy's got a mouthful of food. Give her sorry, a chance. I got, to- I- I got to breakfast late today. Sorry, I just put a piece of sweet potato <laughs> in my mouth. <laughs> but you are reminding me, and of course, now I can't think of the name of the book. Lynn Waddell wrote a book, oh, Florida Fringe. Yeah, Florida Fringe. I don't remember a pirate chapter. I remember nudists. Yeah. I remember furries. Remember a lot of things. I don't remember pirates. And. I want to go back to something you said, and I don't know if you have the answer. So this is this is how we know this show is not scripted. <laughs> Why? Why was that pirate there? Why did they kill children? What was the backstory of that in St. Augustine? Oh, I just read it. One of them was coming up along the coast. I think that – so the second guy whose name – I wasn't sure I could I could say – and they uh, – the, so Drake was – they celebrated it in June and May. Um, Sarrell, Robert Sarrell, and it's S-E-A-R-L-E. I could be pronouncing that incorrectly. The way I understand it, he you know, was doing some pirating stuff, and he was sailing north along the Florida coast and saw, saw light, basically. They had um, – I guess a, a lighthouse, you know, it was before electricity. They would they would have these big things uh, set up ablaze. Saw that and knew that there was a settlement there and went and discovered St. Augustine and just laid it to waste. And supposedly they took soundings throughout the harbor so they would know the depths like they were going to come back. And that's the reason the Spanish built a fort was because they were afraid this guy was going to come back and do it again. And it took them, what, 20 years or something to build a, the Castillo de San Marcos after that. And I think he was an opportunist and was doing what pirates do. That's my take on it. Correct me if I'm wrong. Like I, I said, don't I'm know. Big... I'm, ask- I'm curious at whose behest. Oh, Oh, that's a good question. That's a really good question. Like, was he was he in league with the Spanish or something like that? You're talking about um, Drake and Cyril's. Or I don't know if I'm saying it right either. Yeah. Um, well, well, Drake obviously was aligned with the British. So it says the festival is the beginning of March. So it's coming up. It says on the first weekend of March, St. Augustine commemorates the 1668 sack of St. Augustine when the pirate Robert Cyril and his buccaneers invaded St. Augustine. Burned part of the town and killed a number of citizens. The weekend begins with an encampment on Friday and Saturday and ends with a battle on Orange Street on Saturday evening. Again, it's one of those whole bizarre things in Florida, like you go to Gatorland and eat alligators, where you commemorate this horribly violent act with a celebration. <laughs> I mean, I mean, we're, we're not 
historically, we're not good at celebrating the right way. Probably not. Um, so I have a, a great, um, great post about this that I'll put a link to um, in in the show notes. It looks like it might be um, associated with the University of Florida. I'm not sure, but it does talk about uh, Drake and Cyril, Sarl, however you say his name. Yeah, and uh, you know, it's it's um, Drake. Drake Drake gets all the credit, really. Um, and uh, it says that Searle was actually a privateer. Um, so that I don't know if that means I'm trying to remember the exact definition of a privateer. If it's somebody who is working independently, you know, who's like so Drake had letters from the Queen of England or the king. Right. Um, but no, a privateer also has a government commission. So but it sounds like St. Augustine, people don't realize how important St. Augustine was. Yes. What Florida was to the world during all this time. Yes. I mean, that that was the main outpost to protect the Spanish fleets. And, you know, this is what was funding this the Spanish war machine, all this I, gold I just, and silver. I wish we had done a better job. And I don't know. Maybe we will in the future. But when we talk about history, I wish we had done a better job in American history classes in explaining Florida's significance throughout the early exploration of of the so-called new world. Like we talk about pirates of the Caribbean, but we don't realize this was happening, you know, right by Flagler you know, Flagler College, um, or what would later be Flagler College. We talk about um the, like the 1619 project talks about the first slaves in the new world. I'm like, but that's not actually true. Like uh, the first indentured black man, the first enslaved black man was bought through Tampa Bay in the 16th century. I mean, we really leave Florida out of history. And I mean, this point of the podcast, right? I don't mean to get off on a rant here, but I wish we talked about how important we were in changing the world stage more. It, I think it's because we identify as English. If we, if this. Oh, is- we lost. We lost every war we were ever a part of until we joined the Union. If 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 we were speaking Spanish right now and, you know, we had been, you know, the English hadn't been our official language and we had been colony, you know, the whole United States was part of Spain. I think we would see it differently. But because, you know, Spain sold after in uh was it 1819 sold their their stake in the north america uh, in florida to the british or, or to mean, the to the united states i should say selling um, is a harsh word there i mean it's, it's a little <laughs> it's a little strong handed okay. for what happened we just basically beat them down yeah yeah we're like, hey, yeah. all these people have claims against you for all these things that we think you've done. <laughs> but tell you what, if you turn Florida over to us, we'll cover that debt. Um, horrible, horrible. But but can I – I want to take a, a, a brief departure about something. Um, okay. We talk about Florida being on the wrong side of history, but also people not knowing Florida history. Um, are you familiar with the Don't Tread on Me flag? Yeah, it's hard not to see it these days. I think it's called the Gadsden flag, right? Right. And um, you know, it's got the it's the yellow for if you can't picture this and you're listening, it's the it's the yellow flag with the black coiled, black and white coiled snake, and it says, Don't tread on me. We call that the the Gadsden flag. So um 
the Gadsden flag is um, it's named for a guy named Christopher Gadsden, who is a South Carolina delegate to the Continental Congress. And he was a general in the Continental Army. This flag, it was 1775 was when he designed it. This is an American Revolution flag that was basically the symbol of the 13 colonies, right? The Union of the Snake, the 13 colonies at the start of the Revolutionary War. There is no flag in Florida's history that is less Florida than this <laughs> Don't Tread on Me flag because during the Revolutionary War, East and West Florida and the Canadian provinces were like, screw you. No, we like the king. We're, we're not. No. I mean, Florida was very upset about the whole revolution, the secession. They did not participate in the Continental Congress. They were the enemy throughout this war. That is accepted history. That is not something new I am saying. Florida was two colonies, hated the idea of revolution. All the British supporters, the loyalists, many of them fled to these Floridas during this time. So I'm driving down the road the other day. Um Florida has um, something like 9,000 specialty tags. I'm exaggerating. <laughs> and I see, and I see that we have a, 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 a flag license plate that is the Gadsden flag. And it's for, it's, a, I think it helps give money to disabled American veterans. But we now have a state license plate that is a flag that was completely at odds with Florida. Like it, it it blows my mind that we know so little about history that we as a state would take this flag that we fought against, that we hated, and make it part of like we were a part of that. We're rewriting history in these very subtle ways. It's been bothering me for days and I just had to say it and get it out. As long as we're talking <laughs> so, about So but I guess history. the question the question is who is we? Because if you identify with the the British people who lived here in the 18th century as we, I would say, then show me your lineage going back there. Because to me, those are people who occupied Florida, and I don't identify them with them any more than I identify with the Tamuqua who lived here before them. I identify as as Florida, and I identify as a historian. I just feel like when I say we, I'm talking about our history. I, I don't. I'm obviously I'm Italian American, right? I'm, I'm. My last name is not British. It is not Tamaquin. Celestri is an <laughs> intensely Italian name. Italians had very little to do with the Revolutionary War, as I understand it. <laughs> but um, when I'm talking about we, I'm talking about Florida's history. We, yeah. we it, this 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 flag being part of our state license plates now. It just. It's fine. I don't have a problem with the flag. I, I just feel like we're we're ignoring that there was this whole part of Florida, our history, that is not like everybody north of us. I mean, there there's no one else in the United States has the American Revolution history we do. And I think we should talk about that more. I think we need to, you know, well, the, consider that. The British controlled Florida for two decades. To me, you know, well, there's a, there's some things that happened there. Uh, you know, the, the whole British plantation system came to Florida. Most of the plantations were on the St. John's River and east to the Atlantic coast. 
um, bringing in large numbers of African-Americans, or, or I should say Africans who were enslaved to work those plantations became uh, a part of the system that the British brought in. And then William Bartram is another big contribution. You know, his travels is still beloved by environmentalists. But, you know, it was only two decades. So I think when you're talking over 500 plus years of history, it's only two decades. Okay, let me let me stop you okay. respectfully. Okay. Two of the most important decades in American history, though. <laughs> That's this true. wasn't like 1950 to 1970. We were a colonial property of the British crown. This was the two most important decades in the formation of this young nation. And I understand. I understand what you're saying. It's only two decades. But in those two decades, we get Bartram. We get a lot of Tory sympathizers coming down here that shaped a lot. We had the War of Jenkins' Ear, which is the best war we don't talk about ever. We had all these things happening. And honestly, if we talked about that in high school history classes, some guy cutting off, having his ear cut off, I mean, that kind of stuff, the 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 fact that when they tried to have a Continental Congress, Florida burned whatever in effigy. They were so upset. We talked about the violence and the grittiness of, of Florida's two only two decades as a British uh, protectorate or whatever we were legally. History gets so much more interesting. I think this episode's T-shirt has to be an ear. Just an ear. An ear? But we an didn't ear. even talk about Jenkins or no, his no. ear. Save, save that for another show. And the, it's in you, the book. I talk about Jenkins' ear in my book. Oh, the new excited. book. The new the book. New book. I, I, the oh. new book. I get to pick wow. up. I get to pick up some some arcs this Friday. I'm going to be up in the Gainesville area, and I they told me if I wanted to pick up some arcs, I could. Arcs. Advanced reader copies. Oh, is wow. really happening. That's yeah. a, it's not coming out to the fall, right? No, it's not. I don't know. I don't know what's happening. I don't know why they're ready. I don't know. I just approved the index like last week. Um, and I got Florida splaining in the index. Did I tell you that last week? No. I was that's... really impressed. Florida splaining is now a word. It's in a university press of Florida index <laughs> to a book. I have invented a word. My you work need here to, is you, done. You need to start a Wikipedia page and make sure you get the credit. I can't get my Wikipedia page approved. It's very heartbreaking. Wikipedia doesn't think I'm noteworthy enough. All right. Before we go too far afield, because I really want (laughs) to get your take on Gasparilla and the whole whole Juan Gaspar thing, because you live on the Gulf Coast. And to me, that's, you know, it's like typical Florida man stuff. It's it. Tell, tell me your take. Yes. Okay, so first of all, Gasparilla was not a real person. Gasparilla was invented in the first decade of the 20th century by the Chamber of Commerce. Um, I have a whole history of how he could not possibly be a real person based on who they said he was. He did not exist. He was a marketing ploy. And it's, you know, as somebody, <laughs> I have some strong feelings about the Gasparilla invasion. Um, and this is one of those things where you feel like Kathy's coming in to piss on everybody's cornflakes, but um, it's a bunch of drunk people on boats in a relatively small river. Okay, so that's great. Um, my husband, when he was a towboat captain, would occasionally have to go out there because they need safety out there. I continuously feared for his safety because there are no laws about whether you can drink on a boat if you're driving it. You just supposedly shouldn't be drunk. People throw plastic beads in the river. Um, 
I cannot stand the celebration and what it's turned into. And that's fine. People are going to hate me for that. I like Australian pines too. Just send your hate mail. Um, it's a brilliant, it, it typifies though, if we go back, if we go back to Gasparilla and we go back to the invention of the Gasparilla Festival and the pirate invasion of Tampa Bay and all these things. It is a uniquely Florida man thing. And I don't mean Florida man in a bad way. I'm talking about Florida man like boosterism. Like that's when I think of the first Florida man. I think of the boosters, the people who absolutely wanted to do whatever they had to do to get people to come see how great this state was. And also we could use some of your money. Can you help us out? Yeah. Um, and that's where um, I, I talk about this in my mostly true stories talk. Um, which is the only way I can describe the talk because we talk about these urban legends. And this is where um, we really get into everything about uh, Gaspar that's that's maybe true. Um, According to (sighs) floridahistorynetwork.com, which sounds totally real, um, <laughs> they give us a detailed history of Gaspar, including how the U.S. military vanquished him. Um, according to legend, this site says, Gaspar was not victorious in his last battle. An American pirate hunting vessel, the USS Enterprise, disguised itself as a British merchant ship and took Gaspar by surprise. When it was clear the American forces would win the battle, Gaspar vowed he would not be taken alive to face the hangman's noose. So he wound the anchor chain about himself and threw himself in the anchor into the sea, crying, Gasparilla dies by his own hand, not the enemy's. This history, and I'm using that word loosely, um, this history site also tells you that you shouldn't stand alone on the deck of a ship in Tampa Bay (laughs) because the ghost of Jose Gaspar will rise up from the sea, still draped with anchor chain, and drag you down to the bottom of the bay. That was the point in the story where I started to suspect that perhaps the Florida History Network was not run by trained historians, right? Um, So here's the other thing. Um, the history we've pieced together on this guy. He was born in 1756 Spain, a naval officer loyal to the crown until 1783 when he turned on Spain and became a pirate. Um, Now, in the WPA Guide to the Southernmost State, published in 1939, um, they also mention Tampa has adopted Jose Gaspar, the infamous Gasparilla, as its patron rogue and perpetuates his name in an annual Gasparilla Carnival. Um, So they they talk a little bit more, um, and it's funny because they talk about stories of buried treasures are no doubt the most enticing legacy inherited from the Spanish. Pirates at one time practically controlled the coasts of Florida, and tales of their plundering invariably included caches of loot, hastily buried and lost. Black Caesar and Gasparilla were real enough pirates. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Um, But the mystery of their wealth has remained unsolved. Now, later on, the guide explains that Gaspar's treasure is supposedly buried at the mouth of the Swanee. Um, It's um, Gaspar was a marketing invention and probably little else. Um, One of the problems I have with this, and this is going to sound counterintuitive, is that If you do a quick web search for Jose Gaspar, you're going to find a detailed, reputable timeline filled with names and date. His whole life is very, very detailed. 
Um, and for a man who has such a thorough history written about him, Rick, there's precious little physical or official evidence <laughs> of his birth. And by precious little, I mean absolutely none whatsoever. Um, there is more evidence that Bigfoot exists than there is that Gasparilla ever did. Um, no historian has ever found an actual record of Jose Gaspar or Gasparilla in any Spanish or United States archive. Um, we have never found a single artifact that might be attributed to him. We found none of his boats, not a single doubloon. And all the stories, all this detail we have centers around one eyewitness account, John Gomez, um, who was either a pirate son born on Gasparilla Island in 1805, or a 29-year-old sailor on a boat captured allegedly by Gasparilla in 1801. Um, the legend has Gomez drowning in 1900, just before the start of the very first Gasparilla Festival in 1904, <laughs> um, which explains how we had the stories, but not how he lived to be 122 and then only died by drowning. So and that's my take on Gasparilla. It's it's a great story and it's a great excuse for a lot of people to get very drunk in Tampa. Um I don't like what the festival has become. I don't have to go. If you like it, that's great. I wish they'd stop throwing plastic beads in the river every year. But he's not real. He's he's not real. I mean, Dave Shealy's done a better job of showing us the skunk ape than anybody can show us Gasparilla. <laughs> but what fun! Um, it's part of that that whole culture thing we talk about. That you know, it just becomes fun. I, I'm sure there are a lot of people who r really believe it's true. I think there are there's a lot of mythology out there. You know, my first book was about the Fountain of Youth, and I see stuff all the time that people believe it's true. There's no physical evidence of Ponce de Leon landing any place in Florida. You know, no archaeological evidence, you know, so 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 different places claim to be his landing spot, you know, St. Augustine historically, north in Ponte Vedra Beach, as far south as New Smyrna, there's people who say he landed in Melbourne Beach, nobody knows for sure where he landed. So it becomes part of our mythology, they have the Fountain of Youth Park in St. Augustine, they have the Fountain of Youth Park in St. Pete. It's, I mean, a park, it's, it's a, it, it's, that is my favorite that is my favorite urban legend about Florida. And we should probably do a whole podcast on urban legends because Florida has some wonderful ones. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Ponce de Leon was not in love with Florida. No. He, when he went, when he went by the keys, he called them Los Matires because he said they looked like hunched over old men at sea. I'm like, that's not what the Florida keys tourism board wants you to think of when you think of the Florida keys. And Ponce, Ponce wasn't a, he wasn't, he wasn't a Florida file. Let's put it that way. I think the whole the thing that you that happened with Gaspar is what happened with Ponce de Leon. That that we kind of created, invented this person who was stumbling around the state, going from spring to spring looking for the Fountain of Youth, because you know it was good for marketing. You know, every spring that it's marketed commercial commercially claims to be the Fountain of Youth at some point or another, and. It was just fun. Uh, you know, I collected all this, what I call Poncebilia, and it's fun seeing all the advertisements with Ponce, you know, and how they, how far they stretch that out. And it's, the pirate thing is very, very similar. But for a lot of people, it's just good fun. So I, I there's a list. You're telling me not to pests. piss on everybody's cornflakes, right? 
Well, you know, it's I okay. think I, I think the whole thing about Florida is you do you. You know, that's it. If you if you <laughs> like it, you can do it here. I think that's, that's our it. If you like it, you can do it here. If you want to dress up like a pirate or a pirate wench, this is the place to do it. And we have festivals starting with Gasparilla in January. Then Fort Pierce has one in February. Longwood here in Central Florida has one this month. Then there's another one in Mar a Gasparilla Fella, uh, Festival in March. And of course, then in St. Augustine, they start with Sarah's Raid, and then go in May, they have Drake's Raid. Then they have one called Billy Bowlegs Festival. Is not Billy Bowlegs a Seminole? He was not a pirate. He was not a pirate. Somehow, he was a Seminole. He was it's like it's like this history mashup festival where they mash up Seminole history and pirate festival. Our listeners can hear me rolling my eyes at this. I'm positive. <laughs> the Panama City has one in October, and then... You end your year in November at Cedar Key. So you can have pirate festivals basically all year long in Florida, which is a great excuse to party and drink rum. Fair enough. I myself would rather have a Mai Tai or a daiquiri at a tiki event. And aren't you speaking at a tiki event soon? I am speaking at a tiki event you up soon. You have perfectly. set me up. This is great. <laughs> um, I am speaking. Uh, I'm going to be at Tiki Agogo in Orlando, April 5th through 7th. I'm going to be giving a talk on the history of the orange bird, who is the symbol of the Florida Citrus Commission. Um, we'll go over everything from Anita Bryant to Walt Disney World in that talk. And then I'm giving another talk about haunted Florida, which yes, is going to involve some urban legends. So uh, that'll be fun. Um, I want to, before we leave, also point out we have a sponsor coming on board, I think with the next show. And it ties nicely to our piracy theme because they are a Florida rum company. So um, I, I just want to say if you're, out there listening, thinking, gosh, I love Kathy and Rick's podcast, but I wish I knew the perfect cocktail to have with it. <laughs> Starting next week, we're going to be able to tell you. So um, and it's a very pirate themed rum company, too. I'm excited about it. I would love to hear if there are any of our listeners out there who are really into this whole pirate culture thing. I would love to hear from them. And if you are a hater and hate that Kathy loves Australian pines. I'd love to hear from that because you keep throwing down the gauntlet and nobody has taken, taken that up yet. And I want to hear from our native plant lovers. <laughs> I, 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 I love our native plants. Don't get me wrong. I just, I, you know what? We'll just, we'll, we'll get some landscapers on. We'll talk about it. We'll have the debate. We'll get it all. We'll flesh it out. But if you want to email us, Kathy at floridaspectacular.com. We love our listeners, even when they hate Australian pines. Um, please reach out. We will get your, your letter read on the air. Uh, we want to know what you want to hear too. So let us know. I, I would just like to add Australian pines are better than Brazilian pepper trees. Yes, they yes. are. Yes. And I, just want to point that out. But this is this was a podcast about pirates, not pines. <laughs> that could be the title, Pirates, Not Pines. <laughs> oh, what about the bureaucracy? All right, folks. Uh, we will see you next time on the Florida Spectacular. Until then, uh, you do you, Florida, as Rick likes to say. You do you. <laughs>